Hi everyone, I'm Florence Bremer. Welcome to another week of the Bonafide Legal Podcast. I have lived in Phoenix since 1999. Before that, I lived in Chicago, and I was born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm a mother, grandmother, wife, movie enthusiast, fan of a great deal, restaurant lover, follower of many television shows, self-proclaimed fashionista, and overall in love with popular culture. Besides all this, I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 20 years. In the beginning of my practice and in the last 20 years, I struggled day by day to find balance between work and life. I don't have a magic answer on how to balance life in the law and life outside the law, but over the years, I've developed tips for living my best life and enjoying work and enjoying time off. As a lawyer, it feels I'm never entirely off the clock. I never step away from thinking about my cases and my clients, and it seeps into my everyday life. But I do my best to enjoy my time working and my time not working. So please join me on this journey in finding grace and contentment in the practice of law. Today, I wanted to talk about a very whirlwind trip that I took this week and kind of what I did to manage and and cope with it. So this trip was different than what I was doing in September where I was taking big, um, like, like I was taking chunks where I was gone for like four or five days. So after that month of traveling, I thought I was done for a bit. And then after I returned, I was invited to Wilmington, North Carolina for a bridge dedication for my friend and client, the now-deceased Meadowlark Lemon. Meadowlark Lemon is probably the most famous Harlem Globetrotter. He's loved by millions and was even captured as a character on Scooby-Doo. He died four years ago. Um, in, he just kind of died in his sleep. Um, lived a wonderful long life. He was 83 years old when he died, although you wouldn't have known it by looking at him. You probably would have thought he was closer to 65. And the even kind of like ironic, sad part is, is that he had um, not been part of the Globe Trotters family for a long time, and new owners had bought the team, and they invited him to come to a game. And they had shoes made for him, a uniform made for him, and he was going to Chicago. So he packed his bag the night before, he hung his jacket on the chair next to the front door, with his bag and his shoes next to it, and then just faded away in the night and never got to go to that last Globetrotters games. So recently, his family and the Globetrotters and the city of Wilmington invited me to be part of this bridge dedication. Meadowlark was from Wilmington, and along with Michael Jordan, our some of the most famous Wilmington residents. Small town guys made big. So I really wanted to do this, but I had a dilemma. I had a ton of court during the month of October, and I had just returned from traveling. But I figured out if I could do this if I did it as a two-day, one-night trip. So I have some tips for dealing with jet lag and, and early travel. So one thing I learned is if you have to fly early, go really early. And I've always hated 7 a.m. flights. I think I've talked about it about a dozen times on this podcast, uh, how awful a 7 a.m. flight is. And I needed to get to North Carolina by the afternoon to attend some meetings. So it had to be pretty early. And I found a 5 a.m. flight and I could use my miles. And it was also the shortest in time. There's no direct flights from Phoenix. Um, so I just thought, okay, this just seems to be, uh, all just falling together. It's super early. I don't love that, but it'll get me there early enough and, um, I can use my, my miles. One thing that I think the airlines don't really tell you about, the miles system is that you don't get to use them on every single flight. Like they pick and choose what you can use them for. And a lot of times it's the 5 a.m. flight or a 10 p.m. flight. So I had to wake up at 1.30 
a.m. to get showered and out the door. And it may just be me, but I have to shower before a flight. Otherwise, I just feel dirty and sort of sick. And But when I woke up at 1.30, I was so disoriented where I was like, who am I? And how is there an alarm going off? But once I got up, it ended up not being too terrible. I had packed the night before, and for a one-night trip, you don't need to take the world with you. And I'm an overpacker anyways, so it's always a struggle for me. A newer tip for me on these early morning flights is no makeup. No one's looking at you anyways, and the makeup after a flight makes my skin feel kind of greasy. So I don't feel that like greasiness if I don't have the makeup on. Here's the benefits of a 5 a.m. flight. As you're going to the airport, there's no traffic because you're leaving at 3 a.m. If it's seven, if you have a 7 or 8 a.m. flight, you're starting to hit the traffic of people headed to work and school and other people headed for those types of flights. There's just more flights then. And the airport was empty. Everything was super smooth. Even the staff, I felt, was more friendly at the airport. I don't know if that's a shift change time for them or what, but it was just very pleasant, actually. So on the way there, I had a three-and-a-half-hour flight and then a brief layover and a one-hour flight. And I needed to be productive, so I bought one hour of Wi-Fi and answered emails Otherwise, I also wrote a contract and did some other things that I needed to get done. I was behind on my monthly magazine, so I did a a bit of periodical reading. I watched a tiny bit of Netflix, but that was really at takeoff when I was feeling a little woozy and exhausted. I also closed my eyes briefly on the plane. I really don't sleep, but at one point I drifted off and the person next to me woke me up to go to the bathroom. I wasn't mad, but it like startled the crap out of me. So I just kept trying to adjust and relax the whole way there. Because I knew when I got there, I would be losing a few hours because I was going from the West Coast to the East Coast. And most of my daylight time for Tuesday was going to be in the air. And that was very disorienting for me. I also, I had a pet peeve that I I was dealing with, which was the person next to me coughed and sniffed the whole time. And I realized you can't help it, but, and maybe they really had to get somewhere, but can you take a cold pill so it's not happening the whole time? The other thing that was very discombobulating about it is that the person did not cover their mouth. They were texting and just coughed on the phone and into the air. I pulled my shirt up to my face, like covered my nose and mouth, because I was trying not to breathe that person's air. And then I put some headphones in and played a podcast so I didn't have to hear the sniffing anymore because it was just making me feel super distracted. I am a bit of a germ phobe, not like terrible, but enough that if I'm next to someone who's sick, I I get very, very nervous because I am just terrified of being sick. I know that my schedule is just so one thing after the other that getting sick is, is bad news for me. And I know it's like that for everybody. Like everyone is so busy that when you get sick, it, um, it just ends up knocking you out. I had a brief layover in North Carolina, Charlotte. That is one of my all-time favorite airports. It's sunny. There's rocking chairs. The only problem with it is that it's huge, like New York huge. It took me a whole half hour to get to my next gate, just on foot. And I had an even shorter layover time on Wednesday, And I was really worried about getting through the airport. In Phoenix, they have guys on carts who you can, who will drive you around. And it doesn't cost anything, but you just tip them. I did did not see this in North Carolina at all. 
and it was bustling. People were going in all directions. It's a very, very busy airport. <coughs> I did have time during my first layover to stop at the Admiral's Club, and I grabbed some soup and some cheese dip. I don't know what it is about North Carolina, but their Admiral's Club food is so much better than any other Admiral's Club that I had been to. to. About two years ago, I went to Savannah and had a brief layover there. And it just has the yummiest soups and it great seating, lots of sun. Like I, I love it there. So I hoarded some snacks <laughs> for my trip. And um, I keep that stuff, um, you know, like I'll bring like little baggies with me. And I'll bring, I'll get like pretzels and um, chocolate covered raisins, just a little something that if I'm in my hotel at night, I have like a teeny snack. So then I got to the Wilmington airport. It was teeny tiny, but so cute and friendly. There's only maybe eight gates there and they're all just together. There's just one terminal. So I went to the hotel that after the landing in Wilmington. It was called The Ballast. It was a tapestry hotel by Hilton. It was so lovely. I don't usually stay at Hilton's, but that's where everyone from my group was staying. And at the Hilton, they gave me a top floor room facing the river. So this hotel is on the river, like a, I don't even know what river it is, but it was a, um, like a super wide, like beautiful river. And Across the river is a historic battleship that people can tour. It was such a lovely view. And the good news was I had a few hours before my meeting, so I took a nap. And I napped hard. Like, I was out. It was one of those naps where you wake up and you feel a little sweaty and you can't even remember your name. (laughs) But the bad thing about the nap was I knew it was going to be hard for me to get to sleep that night, especially with the time difference, I was three hours ahead with my body clock, but I, I, I had to sleep. Like by the time I got there, I just had to sleep. So as I woke up, the sun was going down and, um, I just saw this beautiful red sunset over the river. Like it just was so beautiful. So I worked for a bit and then I had a dinner meeting with my group and in the hotel was a Ruth Chris. I've actually never been there before. I don't go to steakhouses generally because I don't eat steak. And it's so weird that in the last two weeks, I've been to three different steakhouses that my clients have taken me to. The thing about steakhouses, though, is there's they always have these great extensive menus, like tons of sides. So sides and salads really work for me when I'm there. And they always have a great bread basket. Not that I need the bread, but when it's that good, I'm, I'm going to have some. So I got back to the hotel room. So it's around 9 or 10 o'clock uh, North Carolina time, but it's still pretty early in Arizona. So I get back there and like, Everyone called me, like my all three daughters called me, I talked to my husband, I answered emails, my daughter Lily sent me a picture of her costume, I had to call a client, like everything was happening. And the reason why she sent me a picture, I just like throw in there, my daughter Lily sent me a picture of her costume. She um, was throwing a Halloween party at my house the upcoming weekend after when I returned and she was making a costume. She made a really cool, if you've ever seen the movie Death Becomes Her with Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. And it was Goldie Hawn from that movie. She ended up not wearing it to my party because that kind of fell apart. But in the picture she sent me wearing it, it looked really, really cool. So in North Carolina, midnight rolls around. Like, I can't fall asleep now. It's 9 p.m. for me, so I'm just sitting there. And when I can't sleep, I don't watch TV. I read, usually, because it's still relaxing and somewhat restful. 
but I was stressed because I knew I had an early morning with many meetings and then from the meetings straight to the airport. So I kind of did a, a pep talk to myself that when I woke up, I was going to wa- I was going to order room service and watch the sunrise. It was kind of my incentive to just keep going like, Hey, get as much sleep as you can. And then, um, you'll get up in the morning and, and there's coffee, which is always like a little incentive for me. When you wake up, there'll be coffee. <laughs> so, um, I put on some, something that helps me to like, once my eyes get too tired to read is that I'll put on a movie that I've seen a million times. So I put on the ring, which was on my laptop. And because I've seen it so much, I wasn't like trying to watch it. And so I fell asleep. So I woke up the next morning at 6.30 North Carolina time, which was 3.30 my time. But it was one of those sleeps where you wake up and you're tired. But I ordered a pot of coffee and um, some steel cut oats, which were delicious, and some biscuits. And with the biscuits, they weirdly gave me a giant pile of ham. So obviously, I didn't eat the ham. I don't eat ham. So I had to check out by 930 and meet everybody in the lobby. So I just relaxed until then. When I got down to the lobby and caught up with my group, some of the people who had been down there maybe 10 or 15 minutes before me said that the actor Ron Perlman who plays Hellboy and who um, was Clay in Sons of Anarchy and has been in a million things just went walking through the lobby I'm like come on 10 minutes earlier and I would have been able to meet him like my kids would be so excited we all watch Sons of Anarchy so from 9 30 until the time I got on the plane and my plane left at four, I had programming to attend. To make it even more fun, I was in the car with two of the current Globetrotters. Their stage names are Highlight and Flip. And I just was noticing how happy people are when the Globetrotters show up in these familiar red, white, and blue uniforms. We went to the bridge dedication first I knew Metalark as a friend for many years, and it was amazing how much he means to people. When you know someone like that rather closely, you sort of forget what they might mean to the rest of the world. Everyone we met had a story about how great it was to know him or meet him, and it was wonderful to be with Dr. Lemon, Metalark's wife, and share in those memories. Then we had a reception at City Hall a visit to the school Metalark went to when he was a young man, and a visit to the Boys and Girls Club where Metalark played basketball and learned basketball when he was a boy. And Wilmington is lovely. The people are lovely. The mayor's office runs like clockwork. The mayor's office was super helpful in getting me to the airport um, because I had to leave a little bit earlier than everyone else. And they took me to the airport like just they're great like just so great and Wilmington itself is a lovely coastal town with wonderful breezes it was hit hard by the hurricanes and there was a lot of construction going on but it was a town that didn't I didn't see like chain chain stores or strip malls I feel like I didn't see a fast food restaurant the entire time I was there and we were driving around quite a bit going from place to place. There were lovely homes and it seemed very community oriented. and, And that was something that I was thinking about while I was there. Like if I didn't let myself be so tired and, and squeeze this in, then I would have missed such a wonderful time. I'm still playing catch up on rest, but it was so worth it to go. So I had a long flight home. The flight home was longer for some reason. I don't know if I'm going against some wind or what's going on. It was, so it was four and a half hours instead of three and a half hours from Charlotte. And then I had the hour from Wilmington to Char- Charlotte. And when I got to Charlotte, I had to walk very quickly through the airport. I got right to my gate when the plane was boarding. 
On my way to Charlotte, I did pleasure reading, just kind of relaxed. Then on the way home from Charlotte to Phoenix, I worked almost the whole time. I bought Wi-Fi for the plane. If you have never done that before, um, it's something that I, I never thought I would do for a long time. But then I realized there could be blocks of time where I could actually get some stuff done, uh, research, logging into my uh, computer back at the office and taking care of business, just getting a lot done. And it's only, I think it was $16 for the whole way home, just wasn't that much money for and for $16. The amount that I was able to be productive was, it was so worth it. And it was so weird. I just had the weirdest feeling like I had been gone for days and days. But I was only gone for a day and a half by the time I got on this flight. And I thought, I'm flying across the country, and this is how I get uninterrupted work done. I need to be in a plane. And that's another tip that I do, and I've shared it before. Not get on a plane purposely to work, but just get away from the office to get work done. It was just crazy that I had to actually be on a plane to get that done. So I got home um, like 7.30, I think my plane landed, which isn't too bad. So I'm figuring, well, I'm going to be home soon, get my luggage. It's like a half hour from the airport. But the thing I realized is when I get home at 7.30, it doesn't mean I'm home at 8. It's really more than an hour. I actually timed it because I was kind of curious. Like from the time that the plane lands and it taxis and you get your luggage to when you get in your car or get a ride and get picked up, how long does it take you to get from the plane, the actual plane, to the door? So even though the ride itself is only half an hour, when you add in everything else, it's over an hour. So I got home closer to nine. And the next morning, my first meeting started in the afternoon, which I did on purpose. I was working backward with my schedule, um, which is another thing that I'll do if I have, if I'm coming in late the night before from a trip, or if I just have court late that day, I'll work backwards. So I'll schedule my first appointment in the afternoon, say like four o'clock. And then if someone else wants to come in, then they're the three o'clock and the next person is the two o'clock. And usually it doesn't get me much farther than like maybe noon or one o'clock. And my first one started at one. So in the morning, I, I felt okay and came in around like nine. And I went through my mail and my messages I had so many telephone messages, like pages and pages of them, that my office said, we were afraid that you'd be mad at us. They were joking, of course, I wouldn't be mad at them for taking messages, but they just, they were surprised at how many messages there were, and I was surprised too. Like I said, it was two days, it was two days out of the office. And it took me the whole day between the meetings and uh, digging through mail and some other documents to get through the messages. I had my training at 5.30 with my trainer, and I'm still in that situation this month where I'm having the hardest time making both training sessions. Except for one week for the month of October, I have only been going to one of them. Like, There's always something that's come up. I even figured out that next week, the last week of October, I'll have to miss another day for another work event. So um, that was Thursday, and then Friday I had uh, some meetings in the morning and then two court hearings. And my client from the first one called me, and she said, I have an awful flu. I'm at the hospital. Can it get continued? And usually it's one of those things where, I mean, it's not easy to try to get a continuance so close, but usually the courts are pretty understanding, And for some reason, I could not get the court to say that it was continued. So finally, I had to go there because it was time for the court hearing. And um, 
And then I got in front of the judge and the judge moved it to another day. So that was a little frustrating because I really could have used that time in the office. And that's a thing that I have tried to work with over the last 20 years, which is when you can't control what seems like it should easily be able to be controlled, like your client is in the hospital, why would I have to go to court? But when you can't control that and you have to go, what do you do to make the best of it? So I had this few hour break. I had that hearing at 1130. So I was done there by the time I got in front of the judge, the judge moved it, I was out of there about 1215. My next hearing was 330 and was probably maybe 20 minutes away. Like I, it was all on the same side of town, which was lucky. I mean, it's rare that that kind of stuff happens to me. Usually I'm traveling up to the other side of the universe when I have that. So I had a few hour break. So there was an IHOP near my the second court. So I went towards the second court. So I could just be there, be a few minutes away. And here's the thing I like about IHOP. They put a coffee pot of coffee on the table. Also, it was the afternoon. And when you go to a breakfast place in the afternoon, there's usually no one there. So I went to my afternoon hearing. That went fairly quick. I was so happy to be headed back to my town by about 4 o'clock. But I had also scheduled a 6 p.m. meeting at the office for a client who had an urgent matter. So it was a very intense day, like a 9 to 7 sort of day. So I went home on Friday, like made a quick dinner, ate, <laughs> and then told my husband, hey, I'm going to bed. He starts laughing at me because it's 8.30. I said, no, nah, I have a busy weekend. I need to get rest. So I got up at 6.30. Had um, I didn't fall asleep at 8.30. I probably fell asleep closer to 9.30. But that's like a nice chunk of sleep, you know, 9.30 to 6.30. And I got up at 6.30 for my walk. And my daughter called me at 6.30. And she always FaceTimes me with the baby. And she thought I was already out walking um, because a lot of times, or certain parts of the year, I start at five, but I don't this time of year because it's chilly out now. Like in the morning, it's in the 50s. So it makes sense to me to wait until the sun's up. And it's nice to have a chunk during the year where I don't have to get up at 5 a.m. for walking. And And people, a lot of my family are like, well, can't you, you know, move it to Sunday or does it have to be Saturday? As part of my routine, it really does have to be Saturday. It's sort of the catalyst of my week. And as I get closer to the end of the week, I just think about that walk. Being out in my neighborhood, which is beautiful, and going on the little paths and just feeling good and clearing my head. It is part of my schedule, like going to bed is part of my schedule. It's a very and very important to me. So when I got back, I ran to the library and then I went and did a yoga class with my sister-in-law and her friend who who flew in for uh, flew in from Colorado for the weekend. Like he got off a plane and they came to the yoga class. Like that's um, how much she wanted to go. She had been going for about the last month. It's this set, it's this yoga class that takes place in our community on Saturday. And I hadn't been to a class in probably a few years because my back spasms had caused me to quit. And my sister-in-law said this guy was tough, but I wanted to join them. And it was a long and kind of crazy class. I was nervous, but I actually talked to my trainer about it. And she sometimes goes to that same class too. And she thought, said she thought I would be fine based on my fitness level. I also felt that I could listen to my body. Like I wasn't trying to win a yoga contest. And I knew I could back off or stop if I needed to. It went well. I was tired and took breaks, but I felt energized afterwards. It was nice to do. I hadn't done that in a while. 
at the very end, I felt like my back was starting to um, get a little sore. So I just took it easier at the very end. And then I got ready for church, came home, took a nice long shower, got ready for church, and then came home for the Halloween party. So my daughter, the one who has a baby, had wanted to have a party at my house for Halloween. I handed her my credit card, and my daughter bought the um, decorations and the food. My oldest daughter actually had a ton of decorations from the year before, so we repurposed those and used those. And my whole family came, and my sister-in-law's friend from Colorado came, and a friend of my daughter's came. And I was starting to feel like, like there was about 20 of us, and I, I kept saying, I'm starting to feel like we have a mob family, like no outsiders ever. I don't know if you remember that line from Goodfellas. That's one of my favorite movies ever. And uh, Lorraine Bracco says that, where she says, we were always together all the time, birth of the kids, holidays, vacations, and that's how I feel about my family. And it's such fun. I, I'm so blessed that we're all together. And then the, the even fun part of it, what even more fun part of it, which I really didn't realize was going to happen, is that everyone really got into the spirit of it. We had tons of fun costumes. My brother dressed up as Freddy Krueger with amazing makeup, like he looked scarred and burned. His girlfriend, Kat, dressed as Cat in the Hat. She loves Dr. Seuss. My oldest daughter dressed as Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus and curled her hair like Miss Frizzle. She looks so cute. My uh, middle daughter dressed as a fairy, and her makeup looks so pretty. The baby was dressed as Pinocchio. My sister-in-law dressed as a pirate. My dad had on two different shoes and a zombie t-shirt and a, and a wig. He said he was dressed as a weirdo. My father-in-law dressed as a Packers fan. My littlest daughter dressed as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Looks so cute. Just adorable. And I dressed as Jessica Rabbit. I had a big red wig and a red dress and... I wore six-inch six heels most of the night, but I gave up after a couple hours into it. And the other thing about my costume is I almost didn't have a costume. I had bought the wig. I had bought a dress from Amazon. The dress from Amazon fell apart when you took it out of the bag. And then I ordered a dress from Macy's. And it was supposed to be there earlier, and it didn't come. It came two hours before the party. But it all worked out. I had thought of a backup costume to go with the red wig if that didn't work out. We had, we had so much fun. I We had um, some drinks. I opened up a special bottle of Prosecco that I had been saving. We danced. We had pizza. A couple of us um, went to a um, small restaurant in town at the end of the night. And I haven't had so much fun in quite a while. I went to bed at midnight. So I was really happy that I went to bed early on Friday. I'm still tired. As I'm recording this, this is one o'clock on Sunday. And I feel like I could go to bed now. But I'm uh, trying to hang in there and get some work done today. So I woke up at to this morning at 7am. And I had a just a long list of stuff to do. And I thought, I'm still tired. I feel I could get go back to sleep. But I'm going to get up. And I'm going to see what I can get done. I knew I had to pick up my groceries at noon. But I figured before then, I would work and read. And so I got up, I had coffee with my husband, talked to my older daughters on the phone. And then I went to the couch and laid down watching Simpson Treehouse of Horror uh, reruns. Simpson's Treehouse of Horror is one of my favorite Halloween traditions. So it was fun to kind of veg and do that. I definitely realized I'm not young anymore. Like being up late and dancing, I was super tired, you know, through my bones. So I was thinking about 
you know, I kind of threw in with this trip, like some time management and some travel tips for like very, very quick trips and, and getting through that week. And as I was thinking about it, I started having a fantasy of an eighth day of the week called Nunday, N-O-N-E-D-A-Y. Because the week is so busy, can't we just have one day of nothing? That's why I came up with Nunday. <laughs> so this was my time management tip of the week. Invent an eighth day. <laughs> well, that's not practical. That's not going to happen. But something more practical is I read a book um, that it, it was a it's like a book that fits in the palm of your hand that I had checked out from the library called Enjoy Your Journey. The subtitle is Find the Treasure Hidden in Every Day. And it's by Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer is a famous Christian writer. She's probably written over a hundred books, but she has some of my most favorite books on lifestyle and time management. Also, she expertly weaves in Bible quotes that are just helpful for day to day and not even um, uh, not even so religious, um, but just helpful. So if you um, are interested, I would definitely recommend the book Enjoy Your Journey as a, if you've never read her books before, as maybe a starter book. It's about 100 pages. It was a quick read. I just kept it in my bag when I was traveling and kept it in my bag through the rest of the week so I could just pull it out and read a couple of pages. And the gist of it really is finding joy, finding happiness in your everyday. And that is something that I've been talking about. I remind myself that on a daily basis because it's hard. It's very easy to put a scowl on my face and walk around that way for the day. But instead, if I look at my schedule and think, there are some blessings in this. Um, I have a day where I'm meeting with a couple of people, but once I get the meetings done, I can move on to being able to help them. If it's a hearing, once I get that hearing out of the way, that's a way to move that case forward, like whatever it is. And then if I can find those just little pockets of kind of rest and relaxation, you know, the drive to the office where I can listen to a podcast for a little bit, the drive to court where I can listen to a podcast, um, a couple minutes at my desk where I can FaceTime with my grandson, like just those little things to, to make the day feel better and not so busy. One of the things that um, Joyce Meyer said in her book is that how people will often say in response to the question, how are you doing? And they say, so busy. And I will tell you, I say that probably 99% of the time when someone asks me how I'm doing. I just said that. I ran into two people that I know at the mailboxes at my office and was happy to see them. But how I felt and what I said to them was so busy. And when you say that, you're telling the people, hey, I don't, I don't have time. And I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Like, maybe they would have liked to chat with me. But my response was so busy. And I did, I had to get back in the office and had a meeting coming and all of that. But for, for, for a lot of people, that is the response I give. And I'm going to try to be more conscious about that. Instead of telling everyone how busy I am all the time, saying, I'm doing great. Um, I just saw a great movie. I'm super excited about the weekend instead of so busy. Okay, I have a little treat. It's We're coming up on Halloween. So I worked and put together a list of my top 10 favorite Halloween movies. And I also put together a top five list of the 10 worst concepts for horror movies. So I'm going to start with my my best list first. I'm going to go 10 to 1, so like a, a top 10 countdown. 
Number 10, Halloween. You can't have a list without having Halloween. Actually, it the movie itself, I think, is not that great. <laughs> it hasn't aged well, but Jamie Lee Curtis is great in it. Michael Myers is such a classic Halloween character now. It, it has to be on the list. And the theme song alone puts it on the list. Number nine, the two It movies that just came out in the last couple of years. So there was the one from a few years ago where the, the friends are younger. And then in the last couple of months, they're now adults. Pennywise is a great horror character. Bill Skarsgård, who plays Pennywise, is amazing. Um, the, the special effects of how they contort his face and body are so good. There's a little, the movies are a little problematic at the end. Um, the ending of them, I think, is eh, a little meh. But I think that's a common thing with horror movies is that they have a hard time finding a good ending. But the movies remind me a lot of like Stand By Me, where it's about friendship and love. And um, they're number nine on my list. Number eight is American Horror Story. I'm sorry. Number nine, I'm sorry, number eight is American Werewolf in London and American Werewolf in Paris. Before I talk about those movies, I'll tell you my daughter says I'm cheating a little bit because I'm putting categories of movies. Um, so it's more than one movie in each category. But I said, this is my list. I can do what I want. So American Werewolf in London is from the 80s. It has still has some of the best special effects, um, creepy ghost elements, and then American Werewolf in Paris is an updated version from the 2000s, and they work well together. Number seven, the Scream movies, Scream 1 through 4. Ghostface is a great character. There's nothing supernatural in these movies. It's more like a murder mystery and the phrase, what's your favorite scary movie is immortalized in them. Number six, Psycho. Going back to the classics, Psycho moves really slow. It's a slow burn. The first time I saw it when I was probably maybe 12 I could have swore that the, even though it was black and white, that Janet Leigh's blood ran red down the drain. Like, that's how terrified I was of it. And Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates is the greatest. Norman Bates is a great horror movie character. Um, they did a great job when they took his character and developed it in, into a TV series, TV series Bates Motel. But going back to the original Psycho is always a treat. Number five, The Sixth Sense. This is a perfect movie. If you haven't seen it, um, go see it. It's been on Netflix for a while. I think, I feel like most people have seen it, but I'm not going to spoil it. There is a twist ending, and leading up to the twist, there's nothing that makes it, uh, nothing that makes it illogical, is all I can say. It's a perfectly filmed movie. Number four, Get Out. And Us. These are the two Jordan Peele movies. Again, my daughter said I'm cheating, but I said this is my list. Both of these are amazing modern horror movies. Um, 
both very different. I, I think a lot of people wanted to see that they were tied together, but I don't think they are. In a way, they kind of have the same feel, but they're very different. The acting in them is always great. The timing is always great. Get Out is a movie that I liked more each time I watched it. And Us is one of the most creepy movies ever. Number three, The Shining. The Shining is an oldie but goodie. There's, I have it on my list, although I have a lot of complaints about it. Um, the book is so amazing. It's probably in my top three or five Stephen King books. And Stanley Kubrick did the movie. And it's been often said that Stephen King didn't like it. There's a lot of stuff to like about this movie in terms of various scenes. In um, the uh, Steven Spielberg movie, Ready Player One, from a few years ago, they take some scenes from The Shining and incorporate it into the movie. And they take the best parts because there's just a lot of parts that are just kind of weird. Um, the Shelley Duvall, who plays the wife, I always thought she was not the right wife for it. Like I didn't really like her role in it as much. Um, and maybe because she didn't appear to be close to the, um, character in the book. Um, I thought the little boy was like that, like they, maybe they could have found someone a little bit better. But Jack Nicholson, I mean, come on, like you can't, you can't even, you couldn't even imagine anyone different in that role. But there were things that Stanley Kubrick did that were so weird. Like in the very beginning of the movie, for some reason, before each scene, it will flash the, a day of a week. It'll say Wednesday. And then a few scenes later, it'll say Saturday. That concept is abandoned about an hour into the movie when there was no reason for it anyways. Like you didn't need to know it was Wednesday. Like it's just <laughs> was like the oddest thing. Um, and in the very beginning, I, I always felt like it had a lot of like wasted time of just not like a slow burn type thing where they were um, like leading up to something, but just sort of spinning its wheels a little bit. But, which makes it sound like, why are why is this in your top three? It's a classic. And um, because of Jack Nicholson's performance and the creepiness of the Overlook Hotel, it, it has to be in the top three. Number two, The Ring. The Ring is a remake of a Japanese horror movie, a movie that when I first saw it had a twist that surprised me so much that I sat up from my reclined position and sat up and leaned towards the TV. There's only been a few times that I have done that in a movie. And um, when I saw The Ring, I thought the very end I kind of had this disappointment, like, oh, this is ending like every other movie ends. And then there was a great little twist at the end. And it was just like scary, like how they frame it and um, how frightened the little boy is, is great. And Naomi Watts is great. It's, it's a good movie. And it's filmed in Washington, which is, I think, just a naturally good state for a horror movie. Washington and um, upstate New York, I think are the two best places to have a horror movie. Probably Maine too. Number one, if you're ready, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. All time favorite scary movie. I saw it when I was 12 years old on Christmas Eve. Weirdly, <laughs> I had the flu and my whole family went to a 
wedding and then a Christmas party. And I was home and wanted to see Nightmare on Elm Street. I had my mom check it out from the video store for me, which is just a weird statement now because <laughs> that doesn't exist. Um, she checked it out from the video store. I put it in and was shaking under a blanket. Had nightmares about Nightmare on Elm Street for years. The other, um, the sequels are fine, like you know, and because Robert England is just so amazing as Freddy Krueger that it's watchable enough. And the the third movie in the franchise, the Dream Warriors, is probably the best out of the sequels. But none of them can touch that original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a very indie film. There's an interesting documentary on um, YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube for free called Never Sleep Again. And it actually goes through all the sequels. But you can just learn about like how special and different Nightmare on Elm Street is. Even the street, the the studio. Um, oh my gosh, I can't think of it. It's like in my head. I can picture their logo. The studio that put out Nightmare on Elm Street was practically bankrupt, and it is called the the house that Freddie built. <laughs> That's how they like lovingly referred to it because it was um, it just made them so much money like it didn't cost any money to make and then made them so much money and it's a great horror movie just wonderful and it's super young Johnny Depp in it if you don't know that he's one of the four kids and like how weird you know okay I have an honorable mention <laughs> because my husband said you have to include this I said I didn't see it but I'll include it as an honorable mention he said his favorite horror movie is Body Snatchers, both the original and the remake. I also have an honorable mention of the movie The Fly. I was talking to my husband about the list today and, and was kind of going through it. And he had mentioned that movie. And I had said, you know, I was kind of still into Jeff Goldblum, even when he was about half fly. And he laughed. So I thought I'd give that an honorable mention. For TV shows, um, if you're looking for something scary to stream, both American Horror Story and The Haunting of Hill House are both on Netflix. Best scary TV shows ever. All right. Now I'm just going to do a quick five, top five of worst concepts for horror movies. Number five, I think is a little controversial because a lot of people love it. But the Evil Dead movies for me, I do not enjoy that. Uh, it's too much. It's too much like uh, too much gore with like a mix of comedy and it just falls flat to me. And um, it's kind of like a slapstick comedy. I don't like it. I went over the list with my daughter today, my oldest daughter. She said, The Evil Dead is my favorite movie. And I said, I know. I said, that's why it's controversial. But um, I, it's just not a concept that I think works for a horror movie. I know there's a ton of fans on it. Number four, the movie The Witch. It's on Netflix. You can try to watch it. When I have, I went to the movies and saw it because it had a Rotten Tomato score of like a 99%. It was supposed to be terrifying. It was the most boring movie I ever saw in my life. It was about a family from, I don't know if it was the 1600s or the 1700s, and they lived in a cabin and they were suspecting that the one daughter was a witch. It was a lot of nothing happening. There was a lot of... Uh, like a black goat making bleeding noises. I'm like, this is terrible. Um, I felt like I got punked. I, I like brought my family. I'm like, this is supposed to be one of the scariest movies ever. We walked out going, what was that? Number three, Jeepers Creepers. I do not like those movies. He, The main villain is so plasticky looking. Um, I don't, he kind of 
works like as a bird, but maybe not a bird. Like it's just a not into those movies. Number two, this is a very little known movie, but it's so terrible. It's stuck with me for years. It's called The Shaft. It's about an elevator that kills you. Horrible concept. Horrible movie. It came out like right before Naomi Watts did The Ring. So what they did on the cover of The Shaft was they made it look like kind of the cover of the ring with a with Naomi Watts's face on it screaming like just just like the cover of the of the ring and she's in it for not that long there's completely weird random scenes of like skateboarders who get killed by the elevator like it's so weird it's almost comical how bad it is I think it has been retitled as something I saw it um oh gosh I think on one of the streaming things and I saw the description and I thought that's just the shaft and they're calling it something different but I don't remember what it was and so the number one worst concept for a horror movie the purge movies these movies drive me crazy. I don't know why The Purge would be a thing. It, so number one, it's nothing supernatural. So you can't blame it on anything supernatural. And the concept of The Purge is one day a year, crime is legal. You can do whatever you want. You can murder. You can burn. You can bomb. Like you can do whatever you want. And for some reason... This makes everyone satisfied enough that they don't commit crime for the rest of the year. The concept is so crazy. Number one, insurance companies would not insure you on the day of the purge. There would be an exclusion, and this is probably just me thinking like a lawyer, <laughs> but insurance companies would say, we're not insuring you. The way that the purge works is it's pretty much like a full-blown war happening once a year where things can get bombed, people can get killed, you can come out with a flamethrower, <laughs> you can like do whatever you want and there's no consequence. Um, so why would insurance companies say, oh, okay, your, your house gets burned down by somebody in the purge? No problem. Or you could um, burn down your own house. Like they're not going to insure you for this stuff. Another thing is that um, in the movie, like most of the time people kill strangers. I think most of the time people would kill their family members or people that they knew. Like it would just be if they were even incentivized on killing like, they just wouldn't go out and kill random people. Like, it would just be huge tragedies after huge tragedies. Also, I don't know why regular people would want to commit crimes. Um, if you're a person who has no, who is doesn't want to commit a crime, why would you go out one day a year and commit a crime? Like, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> Everyone I know wouldn't, you know? And, um... The other thing is if you were if you were going to commit a crime, what would it be would the one day a year thing really keep you from just committing the crime on that day? Because in the movie, the premise is for the rest of the year, there's no more crime because everyone does the crime on that one year. And that makes no sense. I mean, even if you think about things like people shoplifting or they you know what I mean like just things that people find themselves um, unfortunately involved in now they're not going to do it until the day of the purge like it's just so weird so worst concept for a horror movie ever all right thank you so much for listening have a happy Halloween it's my favorite holiday of the year 
next week, uh, next weekend, I'm going to a charity event for cancer in LA, and then attending the last evening of Halloween Horror Nights. Um, right before uh, it closes, we're going to the very last night, it's actually after Halloween. So I've had this um, vision that the actors aren't going to care anymore, but we'll see. I'll come back and report on that. Um, next week, I have court every day, including multiple hearings on some days. So wish me luck and best wishes to everyone else on their week ahead. You can find my podcast on, on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. You can find me on Twitter. Tumblr, Instagram under Florence Legally Brunette. You can find me on Facebook under my personal page and under my law office of Florence Brummer page. And you can find me on my website at brummerlaw.com. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Be back next week.